This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is a podcast from The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Welcome to the game, the podcast with the fitness levels to power through the festive fixture frenzy. I'm Guy Marcotti, and with Ben Smith and James Ducker in my midfield, plus I've sneaked in before the transfer window officially opens and uh, signed Rory K. Smith to add some flair. Welcome, Rory. Thank you, Gap. This is the introduction. Don't speak during the introduction. He's got some things to learn yet. Later on, we'll be debating whether the FA should do its job a little bit quicker, especially those folks on the disciplinary panel. But first... Let's start with Manchester City and Arsenal. Now, um, Ducker, I want to go straight to you because I, I, you know how I feel about Premier League hype, but this actually was, I thought, the best Premier League game um, I've seen this season or, or, or pretty darn close to it. Um, what made it so good? It was pretty absorbing and compelling. I think technically it was, um, it was pretty... Um it was pretty good too. I, I, I think Arsenal surprised a lot of people. They looked at that um, defensive lineup before centre halves in it, and I think a lot of people thought, "Ooh, hang on a minute, they could be in for a difficult day." And yet they surprised a lot of people and, and matched City in a lot of department, lot of departments. Um, I just thought it was a. I just I thought it was quite an untypical Premier League game. Gab in so many ways, you know, wasn't there's was obviously quite there was a lot of entertainment, but it was um, it wasn't just kind of throwing caution to the wind and reckless abandon everywhere. It was um, I thought both teams approached it pretty intelligently. I just mm-hmm. felt if if if, if Walcott and Javino maybe offered a bit more on the flanks and a bit more support to uh, Van Persie, they could have asked. Um, City a few more questions than, than they ultimately did in the end. Uh, Roy, uh, you you like your foreign football. Are you going to tell me that it was a good game because there were only three Englishmen in the starting 11s of the two teams combined? I think you probably could make that point. It, I agree with James. I think it, it didn't look like that sort of normal dunho, blood and thunder, Premier League nonsense fest. I was at QPR yesterday and that's, that's exactly what that was. Just two teams without midfields going at each other. City-Arsenal looked a bit more cagey. Arsenal, I think, have, have changed. There's been, a, there's been a massive evolution in Arsenal in the last sort of two months. They've they've developed a team spirit and a bond and that that shone, that shone through yesterday Ben um, 
we talk about the four center halves. Obviously, that's not by choice. That's by necessity, uh, given the injuries to uh, uh, Andre Santos and um, Bakari Sanya and Kieran Gibbs, and of course Jenkinson too. Right? He's is he injured or is he just not good? He's injured. Yeah, he is injured. Okay, also not uh, good. Um, man, that's that's not very nice. Um, but what what struck me was I thought Wenger had his had, had his game plan right to go there. But was it a case of just? City are better, and also was Mancini justified afterwards? He came. I mean, he, I saw him interviewed on TV, and he's like, "Well, I wasn't happy with the fact that we took the lead, and then we were still so open, and we tried to go forward and score, and blah blah blah." I, I think uh, I think City were better, but not that much better. I think I think as you say, Arsenal were forced into that situation with the four centre backs, and and that probably cost them for the goal in the end when Cacciani was sucked in a bit, and uh, Balotelli broke down the left, but. I think while while Arsenal were beaten, I think there's so much they can take out of their game. I think they they caused City as many problems as probably any team we've seen at the Etihad all season. There was some great goalkeeping on both sides, but especially Joe Hart in the second half. And and um, and on your point about Mancini, I mean City have played like that all season. They've always gone for the second goal. They've they've always tried to kill teams off. And so. Uh, I think while Mancini probably does need to have a little bit more caution in some situations, I think there was an argument yesterday they could go and get that second goal. I and mean, They looked like they could have scored it, but, but you know, long may it continue as far as I'm concerned. Ducker, you know where I'm going with this, okay, because uh, Ben just said, you know, Mancini maybe should need a little bit more caution. Um, this is the same Mancini who was absolutely crucified um, in, you know, after taking over from, from Sparky uh, for, for, for his defensive tactics and the three holding midfielders and all this rubbish. Um, now, I'm not going to be mean and go back on uh, a Google and the archives and see who wrote what because somebody else would do it about some of the many stupid things I've written. Um, but if somebody wanted to do that, it would be an absolute bloodbath, right, for you city watchers? Yeah, it's, it's funny. We, it, the the Manchester reporters were talking about that the other day because we were all kind of scratching our brains to see if we had been ultra critical of his defensive approach, and we we, we weren't. Um, the uh, you say you lot, weren't. A lot of us were saying at that time when he kind of came in that the big big problem that they had under Mark Hughes is that you know they might score three goals but they'll ship four, and Mancini made it made it his priority when he kind of came in to to address the defensive shortcomings first and foremost, and he did that largely by separating Lescott and Torre. Uh, and who were too similar, you know, two kind of, I suppose, both like to kind of bring the ball out from the back and pair company with Torre or, or company with Lescott. And um, and obviously field, field of the two kind of holding midfield players in front of him. And, you know, it made a huge, huge, huge difference, and I think he should be applauded for doing that. I mean, you know, it, ha- it had to be a situation that, that, that was addressed. Uh, and uh, I mean, speaking to kind of David Platt about this, he he said that that was our focus, and then after that we would we we we, we began to address the you know the attacking kind of elements of the team. But what is the point in having a great attack if if the foundations behind them are flimsy? Um, and obviously they brought the you know the juggle things of around at the front six obviously brought some kind of key players in and you're seeing a far better balance now um, and I, I, I just the, what, you're completely right Gab there was a there was a there was a kind of a collective kind of bashing of Mancini for for this perceived negativity I, I remember speaking to quite a few journalists in Italy and they were just absolutely perplexed by it um, 
And uh, but you know now you know now things are kind of coming around and people are like oh you know it was a master plan you know he's he's done exactly right and um, uh, but you know he stood to his guns and uh, we're starting to see the um, the benefits of that now. I, I was somewhat perplexed by that myself because you know if somebody looked at Mancini's body of work, the way his Lazio teams play, the way his Inter Milan teams play, uh, played certainly at first before they got Ibrahimovic, um, it was sort of an attacking, progressive team. Um, but Rory, it, I want to ask you, because it's sometimes difficult to judge what a manager brings when he's got all these absurdly good players. Um, if I was to substitute Mancini with... Actually, let me ask you, let me phrase the question this way. There's 19 other managers in the Premier League. If I was to substitute Mancini with every single one of them in turn, how many of those other guys would be top of the table now? I think, I, well, with with that squad, a lot, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the more than half, and probably not Steve Keane, probably not Owen Coyle. But yeah, I mean, the better the better managers. Tony yeah. Pulis, no, um, wouldn't have thought so. No, Harry, Harry probably would be. Yeah, I would imagine Harry would be. Mancini, I think, I think is an excellent manager. I think the reason that he's sort of typecast as defensive initially is just he's Italian. We associate Italians with defensive football. That's it's sort of a two plus two thing. Because yeah. um, Enigo Sacchi was Dutch, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, you, that, that, I think that's fair to say that English people think Italian football is defensive, and right. therefore when you have an Italian manager, we and assume he's Chinese, of course. Yes, well, half. Um, yeah, I, I think Mancini is, is crucial to that, and I think the way you can tell that Mancini is crucial, despite the fact that a lot of managers would succeed with, with that squad, is James Milner. James Milner looks three or four times the player he was before Mancini got hold of him. And I mean, I've, been, I've never particularly liked Milner, but he is now a cultured, effective, energetic midfield player, and that that's testament to Mancini. And what about Gareth Barry, Rory? Yeah, exactly. Barry's Gareth Barry has been absolutely outstanding this season. Technically, he's kind of used and delivery and distribution of the ball has been absolutely brilliant uh, you know I mean he he had a great I think he had a really good start on the Hughes and then he went terribly off the boil but I, I the, the Barry I am seeing playing for Man City uh, this season I've just not, I have just not seen that player for England and obviously it's clearly got a hell of a lot to do with what he's got around him but um you know, it, it, it is. You know, it is. It, it is not like watching an English midfielder. And, and Actually, middle. I want to ask you about Barry because. If you remember when he was at when he was at Villa um, with O'Neill, he he played. Uh, I mean, I thought he played extremely well, um, and there was a sense that you know the next big thing. And remember, there was the whole the, the whole business with 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 Rafa wanting him and and, and whatnot. But he was playing alongside. Uh, a real holding midfielder or a guy who's playing that role in, in, in Stylian Petrov um, and then he moves to he moves to City and he plays alongside De Jong this season though he is the holding midfielder right? I mean him it's most of the year you know De Jong's not been in there James and it's it's been uh, it's been Nasri um, Yaratori and Barry so he's actually adapted more to that holding role uh, where he struggled with England how did that happen? Um because he's still not particularly. I mean, he's, he can pass a little, but he's still not pretty. And he's intelligent, but he's still not particularly quick. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, going back to that earlier point, that that kind of you know defensive base of the two midfielders, you know, um, Mancini's taking the decision not to really use the old books this season, and Yaya Torre alongside Barry has been given license to really push on and support you know the 
players in front of him and, and that you know by extension has obviously resulted in Barry having to kind of screen the the defence more to have to have to sit um, and um, you've started to see you know Silva you know Nasri Torre will pass the ball to Barry when he's got a man right on top of him or he's got a couple of people around him and not much space to move in and he looks he looks relaxed you know receiving um, the ball in those areas and that's a very very un-English un- un- trait I mean we're, we're terrible for for, for receiving the ball under pressure and, and losing it. Um, um, three housekeeping points um, before we move on to uh, Wigan and Chelsea. Um, one, uh, just to get this out of the way before we get a lot of hate mail, uh, anybody want to argue that should have been a penalty on Mika Richards for the handball? It, well, it doesn't say it in the laws, does it? It's not deliberate. So it's not a penalty? No. Okay, clear. So we're all in agreement on that one. Uh, two, Mario Balotelli, because I haven't mentioned him yet on this show, and we need to give him a plug every single show contractually. Um, the third point, though, um, I, 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 I want to raise this with you, Ben, is, um, and anybody else, feel free to chime in. Um, Gary Jacob reporting um, in Saturday's Times that um, Arsenal hadn't ruled out the possibility of signing Cherry Henry on loan. Now, I'll grant you, um, Barnett haven't ruled out that possibility either, and nobody's asked them, but I just want to get from you, um, given the situation where, you know, let's say that Walcott was pretty poor at the weekend, he's what he is, Park Chu Young, I think is a decent player, he hasn't shown it at all here, Shamak's been terrible, Arshavin is counting down the days until he gets out of prison, June 30th, 2012, I think it's about 190 odd days now. Um, Unless Martin O'Neill decides he's had enough of Nicholas Bentner and his window smashing antics and sends him back to Arsenal, they kind of need somebody up front. Uh, Would a two-month solution, especially given the walk sorry, that Jervinho and Schumacher are going to go to the African Cup of Nations, would, does that excite you? Would that be a good idea? Or would should we read that as kind of evidence that, damn, Arsenal really don't have any money to spend whatsoever, and they got to go back to the man whose statue is outside the Emirates? Uh, it excites me. I think it makes sense in lots of ways for Arsenal. And so, you know, this is a guy who's training with them at the moment, has been for, for the past month, and by all accounts is... Uh, on fire in training and, and looked as sharp as he as he ever has. Um, he knows the squad. He knows Wenger. He would fit in very well, I think. Um, and as you say, with Jovino away, Shamak away, you know, it, it is an easy solution for them. And and it, as you say, it's also an effective one in terms of finance. Um, it makes sense to me. Roderick, is, is it likely to happen? Is it? Would it be a good idea? Or would it kind of? Thank you, Gabriele. Um, I I don't know how likely it is to happen. It seems to. Be, yeah, as you say, on Saturday the reports were that... But would it be a good idea? Would it, is it a good idea? Or should you maybe say, like, well, you know, we just spent money on Joel Campbell, maybe we look at whether he can play, or maybe we actually spend some of the money we'll be saving on our Chauvin when he finally goes back to Leningrad, or <laughs> yeah, St. It, Petersburg for the uninitiated? Generally, it's better to look at the future than the past. But then, do you not... I don't know, there's an element that with Henri, maybe it would have a galvanising effect. He's, a, he's a, an iconic figure. that they, The players all know him. He's, he was there not that long ago. So, I don't know... I, my gut instinct is no, it's a bad idea. It's English football being particularly atavistic and slightly stupid. But 
in this one instance, maybe might have some merit. I'd still be inclined to sign Durant and sign a striker who wasn't 34. Uh, I think what Rory's saying is this is more, this is a guy who brings more than just what he brings on the pitch. You know, the effect he could have in the dressing room, uh, the example he could he provide for the younger players, and the galvanising effect that he could bring to that dressing room is probably worth more than just a guy who might come in on on loan from somewhere else. But then, under Van Persie's captaincy, Arsenal's. This is the, the, the team spirit, the bond that Arsenal sort of displayed at Man City. That, by all accounts, according to people who know these things, is because of the way Robin Van Persie has been as a captain. His wife, Bucher, is friends with a lot of the other players' wives and girlfriends. He's organising social events. Fabregas never did, did that. Henri never did that when they were captain. There is now a bond at Arsenal. Maybe Henri, for all he's a great player, represents certain traits in Arsenal that they should be glad to be rid of. All right. The ball's definitely in uh, Banger's course for this one. Um, my personal two cents, and in case he cares, is I would not go for Podolski, though. All right, let's move uh, uh, up north to uh, the stadium formerly known as the JJB Sports Arena. Is, is that what it was? or The, the JJB? Just the JJB. Just, just the JJB, yeah. Um, and now known as the DW. Uh, I wonder where you got that idea. Um, so Chelsea are go up the way and they, a lot of people said oh look we've turned the corner mini revival look we beat City I didn't get a chance because that game took place after a podcast but um, wait I wasn't impressed with their performance against City I, I liked the result but you know you're against 10 men there were periods after that when they're at home and you're not seeing the ball um and I was really curious to, though, to know, are we going to see the low block, um, as he likes to call it, uh, which is uh, everybody sit back and boot the ball up to Sturridge and Drogba? Um, or were we going to see you know, the more sort of progressive um, football that we saw when he was at Porto? Um, what happened at Wigan? He's talked between two stools, isn't he? Fiasco. I see. There is this. The low block is, is basically where John where John Terry wants to stand, and that's where John Terry tells everyone to stand. And the the high line, which is where Fiasco wants everyone to play, but it doesn't suit any of his players. So he's in this weird sort of purgatory between reality and his his ideals. And at the moment, it just doesn't work. I, I agree with you. I thought they weren't great against City. I think City took their, their foot off the pedal completely after the goal, maybe the first 20 minutes, and then allowed Chelsea back into it. Um, and at Wigan, yeah, I mean, they were unlucky. Petr Cech is doing his best to display why he's not the goalkeeper he used to be. Um, but Wigan's one of those places. They're not, they're, not, they're not dreadful, Wigan. They're not Blackburn. They're not Bolton. And they can always nick a goal if they're relatively, if they're relatively solid at the back. Yeah, I think I mean you've got Caldwell and people like that at the back. There's a reason why they're in the bottom three. You would expect Chelsea with the investment. This is this is a Chelsea team that finished first and second the last two years, and that since then has added and spent a tremendous amount of money. Isn't it legitimate that they could go to Wigan and put on a oh, slightly oh, better show? Oh yeah, they should be winning. They should be playing well. But the way that Chelsea have been this season, I don't think you should necessarily expect them to to be the sort of more than the sum of their parts and at the moment their parts are aging and slightly shaky James um, riddle me this it's um, it's half time it's nil nil and Willis Boas takes off Romeo who was his deep line midfielder and who you know we were certainly given the indication that he was the, the key to everything protecting the, the two centre halves and he sends on Solomon Kalou 
um, and then moves Mata behind the striker. So you know, all of a sudden, it's it's a very different it's a very different team. It's a formation he hasn't really played before because um, his his two in, in midfield at that point where it became uh, uh, Lampard and and and, and Mayrilish. Um, I think that's all good, and then they score. And then, boom, back in comes Mikel and Maluda for Sturridge. I mean, it's certainly unorthodox, right? Yeah, I've been trying to... I was looking at it and scratching my head in a very puzzled manner. Um, I can just picture just, you with a, with a very puzzled look on your face, scratching <laughs> your head. It's just like... It, it hints at kind of just a bit of incoherent thinking, doesn't it, really? I mean, I... I I can't, I can't, I cannot for the life of me. I mean, it, it, what firstly, I think, hinted at just a lack of patience. I think, really, um, you know, Wigan, Wigan are always going to present you with opportunities in front of goal. It's just the way they can't defend. So losing Romeo at half time just didn't really kind of make much sense. Even more so when you then go one nil up and you bring another defensive midfield player on. Uh, particularly, you know, for for your best schema, it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Uh, I don't. I, I've tried to kind of work out what he was thinking, and I just don't really get it. And it backfired, and and then obviously then he made made another daft substitution by taking his best attacker off but, ten minutes from but, time. But James, I think uh, you know, uh, it was clear to me there that. You know, for uh, barring a period of twenty minutes in the first half, Chelsea never had a grip on that game, not once. And um, and for all their uh, chances in the first half, the odd shot here and there, there was never really a sense that they had got the game by the scruff of the neck. But and, if you've not and, got the game so, by the scruff of the neck, Ben, surely you don't take off your 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 midfield linchpin. I'm not. I'm not justifying the decision. I think he was he was wrong. And talking to Petacek after the game, he was the only player who stopped to talk to us after the game, and he said, in the past, we were have gone nil-nil at half-time, we would have scored two goals and we probably would have ended up with six. And, you know, that was the feeling. That is what Chelsea used to do to teams. And looking at that side now, they just don't, they just can't do it. The confidence isn't there. The ability isn't there anymore, which is a real worry, I think. And and they just lack coherence in everything they do. It's it's something that, it, it, you know, that, as Rory says, this is caught between two stools here. Villas Boas either needs to get this team by the scruff of the neck and, in, in, you know, absolutely thrust his vision on them, or he needs to sit back and let the players take over, because at the moment, it's neither one thing nor the other. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Yeah, I don't know about I don't know about being able to trust his vision. I, I mean, I, I, I have a lot. I, I don't, obviously, just, you can't really justify the substitutions, but I've got a lot of sympathy for Villas-Boas, generally speaking. I mean, half of that team was still, you know, Marino's team. They are paying the price for um, the um, uh, impatience of, the, of their owner. I mean, you know, the, what they had seven seven changes of manager in oh, eight James, years or something. James, 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 James. You know, I don't allow that statistic because that is the kind of misleading BS statistic that gives us in the media bad name. The the reality is, since Mourinho arrived. There's only three managers who were actually, you know, sacked, although they would call it mutual consent. But obviously we know they were let go. And that's Scolari, Ancelotti, and and obviously Mourinho himself. So when people put the seven managers, blah, 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 it's not really fair because Avram Grant was always an interim guy and and Goose Hiddink was always an interim guy. Yeah, but but, but Gab, you can't ignore that because... That the the time Grant were, Grant was in place and Hiddink was in place, it's kind of time that a permanent manager could have had to try and shape his ideas on the team and regenerate, give the manager a little bit of time to then you know see that through. I mean, there's there's been none of that there. There's been no opportunity for them to to you know think long and hard about it and you know you know. You know, plan for the future. I mean, the key words aren't these days of succession planning, but there's been none of that at Chelsea. I think Villas-Boas does want to imprint his vision on that side, but he needs a summer to do that. You can't do that in, in January. You can't do it last summer, partially through well yeah at least the summer he couldn't do that last summer through his own fault just he decided to give the older players another chance that was his decision do you believe that that was his decision to do that yeah I think so yeah I think he was he was offered the choice by Emanalo as to whether he wanted by to try Emanalo Emanalo's his boss now well, Emanalo's got Abramovich's ear there's no question about that don't ask me how but that, that appears to be the case that Emanalo is, is a man with power at Chelsea this is what's so demented and dysfunctional about this club is that and this happened last season too is nobody talks in public except for the manager and everything gets dumped on the manager and so Villas Boas has to sit there and talk about you know what he thinks John Terry might have said to Anton Ferdinand whereas in a normal world if this was if this was United I mean that's a bit different obviously Fergie's there but like you would assume that Gill would be would be talking and putting out that we are the face of the club here all the questions are dumped on the manager and it's absolutely even stuff that he's got nothing to do with I mean um Ben, you were there. Uh, did anybody ask him about 
the about the substitutions yeah. afterwards. Yeah, and, and he and he he freely admitted that he had he come to take to take a one 0 That was his plan. He wanted to hang on for the last twenty minutes. He he openly admitted that in the press conference afterwards that he he you know they'd gone one nil one nil up and and he was satisfied with that. They were going to try and hang on to what they got, and that just isn't. This is Chelsea. This is Wigan v Chelsea. You know, Chelsea don't do that at places like Wigan. That's not something we've ever come become used to. But that, this is what Chelsea does to to, to managers. You look at Villas-Boas when he came, the principles, the tenets of his philosophy of football, the rotating midfield, he's abandoned that. The high line, he's abandoned that. Constant pressure, constantly going forward, as Ben said, he's abandoned well, that. You can't press with these strikers. No, no exactly. That's the thing. I mean, they, well, how are you going to press with, with, with Sturridge and Mata? Well, yeah, no, or Drogba or Lampard or whoever. There's players who can do it. Ramirez and Morales can do it, I think. But no, but I'm talking about the front men. Like, yeah, it's not yeah. the game. But he's, he's had to abandon all of these ideas that he has that sort of defined his football at Porto because of Chelsea this is what Chelsea does Chelsea is a sort of unmoving unchanging object and managers are powerless in the in, in, in its weight but go, Rory going to um, Wigan to accept a one you know to, to go for a one nil as Ben said against a team that scored nine goals at home in six away is a pretty Chelsea, you know, the last three games, it was 15 nil to Chelsea, the last three games against Wigan. And here's right. a guy going for a 1-0. Well, I'm not accepting that Franco De Santo is anything other than a, than a deadly striker. <laughs> <laughs> um, enough Chelsea. Um, let's, how about we praise Wigan a little bit? Because what struck me was, I'm, I'm watching the game on TV and, and, I, I, and I was curious to see what, how Roberto Martinez was going to uh, approach it. And I thought, like, by playing Salmon, who's not a real striker or certainly you know uh, very mobile and, and Moses up front I'm, I'm you know instead of, of Rodallega or, or, or indeed DeSanto I was struck it kind of left Chelsea's back four wondering like hey where are these guys and they're all sort of moving around and, and, and whatever else um, I also thought the um Kind of blanking. Who was, who was the, the wide midfield? Was it Jones? I'm thinking. Uh, he was a left. He was kind of playing as a wing, left wing back. Right. Um, he he got yeah. he got a little bit overrun, but he I understand did, yeah. the idea yeah. of why he was there and what he was trying to do. But um, I don't. Know, what did you make of Wigan? I mean, Martinez sort of. Should we be giving him credit beyond the, the pretty passing? It looked like there was some tactical thought there, and then after having these two guys running around everywhere. You know, he put on the strikers. Yeah, you know. I thought I thought it was very clever what he did actually with with his attacking shape. I think he'd obviously seen Chelsea vulnerable to, to movement and pace off a front man, and uh, by giving Moses a license to run off Sam, he caused he caused them all sorts of problems in, in both in the first half and the second half, and probably could have scored twice himself. And and at the back, he played three defenders with two wing backs, and and actually that's what cost Wigan in the end for the goal. I mean, uh, Cole found a pass and Sturridge managed to get between uh, Jones and Figueroa and got some space there that was the only place where they slightly got exposed but Martinez does deserve credit I think he said he, he really you could see he'd thought about how to get at Chelsea and it worked yeah I, I think it's fascinating to, sh- to, to see what you can do with players who are so ostensibly of low quality Connor Salmon I think someone on Twitter said looks like he's taking part in an elaborate faking it documentary where a painter and decorator gets to be a Premier League footballer but you can you, you, if you think about it, you can stop the teams that have much more quality. Three at the back. I don't understand why people don't do it more. And there's not, the other thing I'd like to say, just very quickly, there's not nearly enough tactical difference in England. You look at Italy, there's managers playing very, hugely different formations all the time. It doesn't happen in England. Everyone plays basically 4-5-1 or 4-3-3 when you drop, drop the ball. That's all we play in it. Um, I disagree a tiny bit on the quality point. I actually, and I know, I know I'm in the minority there, but I mean, I think ultimately... 
it's about having players who can fit what you want to do. I mean, I think James McCarthy is a phenomenally gifted player, uh, and who's British, by the way, um, as is uh, Figueroa. Um, is also a very good player. The, the thing is, they, they maybe have shortcomings in other departments, um, and obviously Moses as well. But um, you're spot on about the, the tactical variance, and I think, but it also takes players who are willing to listen to you through long, boring tactical sessions. I, I remember your mate Platy telling me that when he was at Forest, he, was, he tried to uh, um, have the kind of tactical sessions he had when, you know, earlier in his career when, when he was in Italy. And sort of after about 15 minutes, you know, the players, like, they started getting glassy eyed and they weren't paying attention to him anymore. And he said, all right, screw this. Let's go 4 4 2 and two banks of four and let's get at him. Final point. Percentage chance of Wigan staying up, please. I'll, I'll say 60%. I, I fancy them to, to stay up. I really like Roberto as a manager and as a bloke. Uh, 25%. I think it's one one of four will survive them, Wolves, Bolton and Blackburn. Ducker? So, I, I, yeah, I'll go with 25% as well. I dearly love him to stay up. He's one of the nicest blokes in football. And, and as Rory says, he does think about it. But uh, I just, I just I do fear for them, I'm afraid. Roberto Martinez, you're this week's Warrior of the Light. Okay, right. In uh, in in our debate this week, we're gonna, we're gonna talk a little bit about um, Suarez, Evra, and, uh, and and perhaps Terry Ferdinand. Um, the, there was a verdict that we were all expecting on Friday. Now it's it's been moved. The verdict might be out there by the time um, that that you listen to this podcast. Um, but what I'm interested in is why this whole thing is taking so freaking long. Now. Ollie Kay, who isn't on the show, tweeted, well, it's much more important that they get this verdict right and they should take all the time that they need. Something to that effect. I'm sure he'll correct me afterwards. Um, And he's not the only one. And I have to say, like, Ducker, I don't agree with him at all. I I don't see, I don't know what the mechanism here for the investigation, but it seems to me there's a finite number of people to speak to. Um, You've had more than two months this, the, the Suarez case anyway, you don't even have the excuse of police involvement and all this other crap to slow you down. So for two months, we've had two people, two people's names being dragged through the mud by, by, by one side or the other side. Um, can you understand why it's taken so long? Do you have insight into the, the mechanisms? Um, oh, I've, I've obviously covered the story a bit, and I am, I'm, I'm with you on it, Gab. I think it's ludicrous how long it's taken. I've, I have routinely asked the question to people behind the scenes about why it has taken so long, and no one has been able to um, give anything approaching kind of um, a reasonable answer, really. All, all I can surmise is that um, the situation is very sensitive, um, and I can't remember the FA just being so kind of cagey about a case. I mean, the, 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 there's next to no briefing on it. Um, they just seem very, very anxious about the whole thing. Um, and I just, I can only surmise that they they are being very, very deliberate um, in in, um, in in what they're doing, in the hope of not making any mistake whatsoever, and ensuring that every kind of stone is is unturned. And even if it's a case of going over and over and over the same things again and again and again to ensure that you know once they arrived at this place, the, the, the situation. 
situation at the hearing that you know everything was suitably in place. I, d- I don't have a problem about the actual hearing itself taking you know more than you know a few days. I think it convened on Wednesday, didn't it? And you know, look if it's if it's you know today or tomorrow that the verdict, the, the arrival verdict, that's fine. But two months to get to this stage, but it, you know, it's it's not a surprise though, Gav. I mean, the the FA seem to. You know, some some things you'd expect to take a while to deal with very swiftly, and then other things drag on and on and on forever. And you know, and it's it, there's lots of situations, particularly where you know some of the um, outbursts at referees. You know, you've seen situations where it's been two or three months down the line before the arrival of a verdict, uh, and obviously this this is um, a similar situation to that. And there's no real consistency over time scales with you know disciplinary matters at the FA, but. Um, I, I fear that two, three, four years from now we'll be having the same debate. Well, it, to be fair to the FA, I, I guess we can't really say it's the FA, like in, in the sense of Horn and, and Bernstein, because I'm assuming that they have certain guidelines they follow, and it's not like David Bernstein sits in in these meetings and says, hey, let's go and drag this out forever. Um, but the, so, so it's, it's these three people involved now. Roy, I want you from, there's some sense that they've spent a very long time sort of not so much establishing what Suarez may or may not have said, but whether it's offensive and, and obviously the, 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 the term he might have used might have been a Spanish one and um, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. It seems to me like they're almost trying to set up a precedent uh, to have some guidelines so that, you know, if I... If I swear at you using language which might not be offensive in my country, but which is offensive in this country, then we'll deal with it this way and not that way. Does that make sense to you that that's what they're trying to do? They're trying to actually not just legislate this case, but make legislation. Yeah, I think so. I think it's very easy for all of us to criticise the FA, uh, and normally, or on a lot of occasions, they kind of deserve it. But on this one, they've essentially got to choose between which culture is better, Hispanic culture or English linguistic culture. And it's an impossible... I really don't envy them with this one, but it's an impossible thing to decide. The, the best parallel, I suppose, that someone suggested to me was, if you're foreign and you come across here... And which you, I am. Which you are, famously, uh, and you come across here and drive on the wrong side of the road and you're pulled over by the police, and do they say to you, you're driving on the, on the wrong side of the road, do you, when you say, sorry, I'm foreign, I didn't know, is that a legitimate excuse? Because that's, Suarez has admitted, as far as we can tell, using the word negro, not negro, negro, which is something entirely different to, ne- to what English people understand by the word negro. Um, now, he, his, his defence will be that in Hispanic culture, it's not offensive. It's not. You only have to read Danny Pacheco's tweets to realise it's not offensive in Spain. Uh, uh, to be fair, Danny Pacheco, when he tweets, he tweets to other Spanish speakers. Patrice yeah. Evra, A, he's not Luis Suarez's mate. Yeah. And uh, secondly, he... He doesn't speak Spanish. Yeah, and the, the other argument is But he Suarez, does speak Italian, and in Italian it has a slightly different meaning. The other argument with Suarez is he should know. He's lived in Holland, which is a hugely multicultural, multiracial society. And yeah, as I say, I, I, but then, do you, so, so you should say, so you say he should know. So do you punish him and ban him for 10 games and fine him 50 grand? Or do you say, well, he's Spanish, so it's kind of fine. He didn't mean it, he didn't mean it racially. And I think we have to kind of accept that that Suarez, in an ostensible sense, is not a racist. He plays with black players for his club, for his country, for his former clubs. He's not. He's never said, you know what, right. you're a black lad, I'm not, I'm not playing you're right. with you. If you work with a black person, then clearly you can't be a racist. Thank you, Rory. No, um, that's, that's, not, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but, you know, I, understand, he, he, I understand what he, you're saying. He no, obviously no, he, has no great sort of right. 
he's not like yeah. a clan member. Do you know what I mean? He's not. Right. He's not actively racist. He's just. I don't even know if the clan exists in this country, but I'm sure there are alternative. Um, I, I, I probably goes in Yorkshire. <laughs> I, I, I think we'll leave it there before we get Yorkshire. Did you say I got put Matt Hughes on your rear end? All right. How about some quick hits? And this is uh, Rory K. Smith's um, debut. So um, we'll all be patient with him. Michael Carrick scores a gorgeous goal, his first since the beginning of time. Uh, Rory, why can't Carrick be the creative central midfielder Ferguson so badly needs? Because his technique is wanting, because he doesn't score enough goals, he doesn't have an eye for a killer pass, and he doesn't control the tempo of a game particularly well. He's an average midfielder Carrick who has moments of being quite good. Good thing he's locked up through 2014 then. Speaking of Sir Alex Ferguson, uh, Roy Keane revealed yesterday in the Sunday Times that after he left United and gave an interview in which he criticised the club for the way his exit was handled, he got one of those threatening, nasty legal letters from that human pond scum we call lawyers. Now, they said that Roy Keane needed to issue a full apology and promise never to criticise the club ever again. Keane told Brabner's Chafe and Street to crawl back under their rocks and, uh, um, and obviously didn't do anything about it, but was deeply wounded and upset. James, are you surprised by, uh, by, by this whole issue? No, because it, 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 it wasn't coming from United. It was obviously very much at the prompting of Sir Alex Ferguson, which, you know, King made pretty clear in his interview. As he said, you know, um, as he pointed out about the um, McManus Magnier spat, you know, Fergie hates being slighted and um, he obviously felt slighted in the situation and he's gone after Keane. That's what this is about. Tottenham get the three points over Martin O'Neill Sunderland but lose Aaron Lennon. Uh, ben, they're already without Gareth Bale, not to mention Michael Dawson. Um, are Spurs really a credible title threat? Or are we just being nice to Harry? I, I think we have to take them seriously, but I think injuries are a factor here. I think if they were to lose one more of Modric, Adibayor, Parker, uh, they'd be in trouble. So they are until that happens, I think. Modric, Adibayor, Parker, notice how he doesn't mention Thunder Fart. Liverpool cruise to a comfortable 2-0 win over strikerless Aston Villa. No offence to Emil Heskey and Nathan Delfonso. Uh, Rory, I ask everybody this, so don't be offended, but where on God's green earth will King Kenny uh, squeeze in Steven Gerrard when he's back? If uh, he's back. Alongside Charlie Adam and Jordan Henderson in central midfield, while Lutus Labour is injured, I think longer term there's a problem but at the moment there is a gap there Liverpool lack uh, a sort of controlling presence in midfield that sadly John Joe Shelby just can't fill Good news Stevie G Landon Donovan will return to the Premier League joining Everton on loan for two months um, James Davy Moyes' crew were held by Norwich 1-1 at the weekend um, what do they need Donovan for I mean is it to finish mid-table so they can avoid finishing mid-table um it's really put your back up this hasn't it Gal I think uh, to be honest as well I think I think Moyes will be looking over his shoulder there are only four points above the relegation zone there's no uh, guarantee yet of mid-table there's about a hundred teams beneath them Ducker you are sorry there's about a hundred teams beneath them Ducker most of them managed by Muppets the the 14th four points off the bottom and they've, they've lost seven of the last 11 all right. I guess I have more faith in St. Davy Moyes yeah, no, than, than you do. I, 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 I would, I, I would stake my uh, mortgage or whatever on uh, on Moyes, um, on Moyes kind of keeping them up. But they are desperately short of goals, and I think you know it's a cheap, it's a cheap option for them. He knows the club. He's been there before. He's done pretty well in the past, um, particularly with, Garrett, with Tim Cale not having scored for a year. I think it, um, in the circumstances, makes some sense. Welcome back, Landon. 
Stevie King gets a respite from nasty banners at uh, Ewood Park at the weekend as uh, he loses 2-1 uh, to West Brom. But uh, no respite from the local media with the uh, Lancashire Telegraph coming out on Monday um, calling for his resignation. Now, I don't remember stuff like this happening very often that a newspaper comes out and calls for somebody's uh, resignation. Ben, you're a newspaper boss. Um, what do you make of this? I think when something like this happens, you realise we've reached a tipping point. Um, I think the end is nigh, Steve. I think it's been coming for a long time. But when you reach this kind of a situation when the local community and the fans and everyone is so against you, you can't ignore what's obvious to everyone else. Uh, he won't be manager of Blackburn for very much longer. But why should he resign? Shouldn't he wait for Venkis to sack him? I think they will. Gab, one for you. I hear Inter Milan are long, no longer champions of the world, which means Rafa is no longer champion manager of the world. Who holds the title now? Well, the title of champions of the world is now held by Barcelona, who, of course, beat Santos 4-0 um, at, at the weekend in the uh, FIFA Club World Cup. Now, um, you can say it's just a tin-pop, blah, 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 but Santos were really banking on this. I mean, Pele came out and said Neymar was, was better than Messi. Um, they spent a lot of money to hang on to Neymar and Ganso and their other stars. They spent money to bring Alano back and Edu Dracena back. They really, really wanted this. And on the pitch, it was just, just nothing. I mean, the, Barcelona were 3-0 up and it hit the post by halftime. Um, I don't think this is a knock on Brazilian football or South American football. It's just further confirmation that right now, Barcelona are one of the greatest sides ever. That's all we've got time for this week, but you can go to www.thetimes.co.uk. You'll find your news, your gossip, your analysis. My web chat's on Tuesdays, Ollie K's web chat's on Wednesdays. Plus, we're all on Twitter. You know where to find us. Uh, till next week, bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.